Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. The inspiration for Annie Seaton's first fiction was a teenage love letter, a missive she received from an early beau, written on mauve toilet paper, and so heartfelt that it took him pretty well the whole role to say what he wanted to say. Fast forward to today, and Annie's a recognised brand in Australian fiction, with nearly 40 romances, time travel and rural fiction titles that are garnering a popular following. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler. Before we get to talk to Annie, just a quick mention, the show notes for this binge reading episode can be found on the website thejoysofbingereading.com. That's where you'll find links to Annie's books and website, as well as to the authors she loves to read. And if you want to follow up on anything she mentions, that's where you'll find it. But now, here's Annie. Hello there, Annie, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Hi, Jenny. It's fabulous to be talking across the ditch. And I know I say the ditch differently to the NZ listeners will say it. So <laughs> I'm over in Australia and it's lovely to be talking to you. Yes, I think you're at, is it Nambucca Heads? That's right, Nambucca Heads. It's um, situated halfway between Sydney and Brisbane. And I live right, or when I say right on the beach, I'm five houses back, but I can see the ocean from my front window. So it's very lovely. That's beautiful. Look, I've got a sister who's now lived in Australia more years than she ever lived in New Zealand. She spent a large portion of it in Newcastle and now she's moved up to Coolangatta. Well, I grew up in Newcastle, so I know it very well. <laughs> I'm sort of familiar, No, I wouldn't say really familiar, but I'm very familiar with that stretch because I have visited her regularly in both locations over the years. So I can picture where you are and it's a gorgeous part of the country. Absolutely glorious and scenic. Look, when you started out with your writing, was there a once upon a time moment when you decided that you wanted to write fiction as distinct from the other stuff you might be writing? And if so, what was the catalyst for it? The catalyst for me wanting to be an author happened when I was four years old, would you believe? (laughs) My mother used to take me to, I I was born in Brisbane and I lived in Brisbane till I was 12 years old. And from about the age of four, my mum used to take me to the library. I think it was every Thursday. Look, I can even remember that little detail (laughs) many, many, many years later. And I fell in love with books and I always wanted to write stories. When I was 11, I wrote a book and it was all stapled together and um, I can still remember the first line of the first chapter was, Julia stopped hopping abruptly, breaks every grammatical rule there is for starting a book. (laughs) That poor little book went missing when we actually moved to Newcastle in the late 60s and then um, education, career, marriage, children all intervened in, you know, all... The desire was still there, but they all took precedence as as life does. When I was 33, we had our sea change and moved to Nambucca Heads. 
and I had given up an academic career at uh, Newcastle University and I thought, well, you know, I'm going to join the local writers group. So I joined the local writers group and my first published work was in their inaugural um, anthology called Estuary because we have a beautiful estuary here on our river. And I remember it was a little short story romance based on something that had actually happened to me in my teens when one of my early boyfriends had written me a really long letter on mauve toilet paper, (laughs) took almost the whole roll. So that was the first writing I did at 33. And then, of course, um, moving up here, I wanted to get back into um, an academic world. So I did a master's degree. I retrained as a teacher. I became a teacher, I became a head teacher, I became a high school principal, I became a grandmother and, of course, writing, again, was placed on the back burner. Mm. In Yeah, yeah, as it is, we all know it, don't we? In 2007 or 8, no, sorry, 2010, which is just over almost eight years ago, I had an awful experience where I was teaching and I looked at the stress that my position was calling me, causing me, and I thought, you know, I'm not enjoying this anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. So I decided to retire. A lovely friend said to me, what are you going to do with your day? You've been a principal 24-7. And I said, I'm going to write that book I've been wanting to write for over 50 years. <laughs> so that was, um, I think, March 2011 I started writing. Fast forward seven and a half years, I now have four books in bookstores, um, another three books contracted with HarperCollins, and about 30-something books self-published. Oh, that's fantastic. That's my story. (laughs) And that's when I decided I wanted to write fiction when I was four years old. And if I can just add a tiny little writer to that story, when I was in Brisbane in October, I was doing a library tour. And I was driving through where we used to live along the main road, which is very different these days, and I passed that Annerley Library where I had had my first experience with books. I drove past and I did another few miles and I thought, no, I turned round, I parked in the library car park and I took in a copy of my latest book with Sunday Dawn and the librarian was delightful and I said, I would like to donate this book to the library and sign it. And not only that, she had all historical photos displaying those early years in the early 60s when I'd been a child borrower. So it was very special. That sounds like a lovely story. 30 books self-published, that's remarkable. We'll we'll talk a little bit about that when we get onto your more general career. But I think you started out writing romance, but you've now evolved much more into Australian rural fiction, haven't you? Yes, it it wasn't intentional. I think it was just a natural progression. When I started writing um, back in 2011, you know, seriously writing, I had no idea about craft. I had no idea about point of view. I had no idea about showing, not telling. Um, I I didn't know what head hopping was. I just knew that I loved to read and I knew what worked for me as a reader. My first book that was contracted by Lyrical Press um, in New York was a steampunk romance that I had actually entered a competition with um, Karina Press 
um, in New York, they wanted a steampunk story. And I didn't even know what it was. So I researched it. I wrote this little fantasy story and I threw in a bit of romance. And that's how it all began. Oh, that's terrific. Yes. And your more, more recent books also have a strong environmental thread. You mentioned Sunday Dawn, but I have actually been going through that whole series of the environmental ones. And I find them fascinating because there's a good story, but also you get a real introduction to parts of Australia that you may never have a chance to visit. Do you think that's part of the attraction of them for people? Oh, look, it really is. Um, When I started writing, my very first contemporary romance was called Holiday Affair, and it's actually set here in Nambucca, up in Armadale on the plateau, and up in the Whitsunday Islands. And as early on as my very first true 50,000-word romance, I was looking at environment. And, you know, years later, as I analyse it, I think it's because I have such a love for landscape myself. There's a standing joke in my family, oh, quick, the sun's setting, mum, get out there with your camera. Um, You know, every time we take the dog for a walk on the beach, I'll take my camera and I'll take photos of waves and sky. So landscape is very important to me. And in 2013, prior to any of my print books or my environmental books, we started to travel. We had a little canvas camper trailer and we took off. And as we travelled through Mount Isa, which for the New Zealand listeners is in the very west, northwest of Queensland, really in the true red outback, I saw the landscape scarred by all of these mines and chimneys and mullocheeps. And even though the outback is a very desolate landscape, it's beautiful. But to see it scarred by this industry was a real wake-up call for me. About a month later, we were at Kakadu, And we were looking at these beautiful wetlands, looking at the birds and the crocodiles and the magical sunset. We were actually on a little tourist boat and I saw this Kakadu sunset. And the story came to me in that moment. What would happen if someone wanted to do coal seam gas mining underneath this pristine environment? And what would happen if we had corruption in the government? Because the theme of many of my books is about the lack of truth, justice and integrity in today's society. So that's where the environmental thing started. And, you know, people say to me, oh, you're an environmentalist. And I say, no, I am an Australian who loves my country and who doesn't want to see these pristine areas destroyed to make money for whoever it's making money for. I realise, you know, we need industry for our economy and there's a way to do it, but we really need to protect these areas. But Sunday Dawn won the 2018 Book of the Year, I think, in the Rom Today Reader Choice Awards. That must have been a pleasing validation for you. Oh, it was amazing. My three Porter Sisters books, Kakadu Sunset, Daintree and Diamond Sky, that are set in three different landscapes, have done well. But Whitsunday Dawn has just lifted the bar and it's brought me in a whole lot of new readers. And I get emails every day or Facebook messages every day. I've just had one this morning from a local reader here in my town on my Facebook page. And she just said, oh, I just finished with Sunday Dawn. I cried at the end. Is there going to be a sequel? (laughs) 
and so many people have asked me for a, a see another sequel in the Porter Sisters series or a fourth book in the series or a sequel to With Sunday Dawn. It really is a validation. And to know that um, the romance readers voted with Sunday Dawn as their best read of the year, that was just an amazing moment. Yeah, fantastic. You've mentioned how you take off on these book research trips for several months each year, and that sounds like everybody's idea of heaven, actually, to be able to justify doing that for work. Um, Tell us a bit about how you organise that. Well, it's really interesting to start with, um, my husband still works. He's a school teacher, um, so he gets school holidays and he has a bit of long service leave up his sleeve. So when um, I retired from education, it was much easier for him to say I'm taking leave because I was so committed to my job, you know, I would think the school would, of course, fall to pieces if I wasn't there. So having me at home and my husband being able to take long service, we started to think, you know, it's time to travel. So back in 2013, prior to the Kakadu research, which, you know, didn't begin as a research trip, it began as a holiday, we had purchased a little camper trailer and we headed off in our four-wheel drive and we went to the top of the Northern Territory and we did some fishing trips and we did um, some uh, tours around Kakadu and we walked into waterfalls and things like that. The second trip, to the Daintree the following year was, yes, okay, I've now got a contract for a three-book series with Pam McMillan because I had pitched Kakadu Sunset and it was accepted um, and they said, could I make it a series? So the trip to the Daintree we did on the way back from, um, I think we had gone out to Longreach. And then, of course, the trip to the Kimberleys in 2015, which is in the top um, of Western Australia in the true outback again, was a specific trip to research the diamond mine and the um, locations in Diamond Sky, which originally was going to be called Kimberley Moonlight, but the publisher wanted to change it. So um, those trips were very much organised, the last two, to research um, specific stories. With Sunday Dawn, and people roll their eyes when I say this, it necessitated spending three months last year and the year before up in the Whitsunday <laughs> Islands, researching the islands and the water and um, getting my imagination fired and, you know, describing my settings where the Ellis family lived on Whitsunday Island. It also involved a lot of historical research because this is my first dual timeline book where half of the book is set in the 1940s in World War II in the same location. So I interviewed a lot of elderly folk who lived there as teenagers in World War II and a lot of the events that occurred in the book came out of those oral um, interviews. Uh, wonderful things about the Boxing Day picnic and how they worked and how they got the jellyfish out of the water. You won't find that anywhere in a primary or secondary source. It was directly from people who'd been there and that was the best part of the research yes. for me, apart yeah. from maybe the sailing around the islands. <laughs> yes, that sounds wonderful. Yeah, so, yeah, we, we plan our trips now. Um, the next book is set, it's called Osprey Reef, and it's actually set on a 110-foot fishing boat. 
uh, that goes out on scientific expeditions. And when we were up in the Whitsundays for the launch of Whitsunday Dawn, I actually had a trip from Early Beach down to Mackay on that boat with the skipper up in the wheelhouse, um, grilling him on how this worked, what was this for, where does this go, why does that wave come that way? So that research has started. And then the next trip, the uh, next um, book that's contracted for publication in 2021 is called East of Alice. And we're currently planning our trip out to Alice Springs in winter of 2019. So, yes, it's a very tough life. That's lovely. So it sounds like you started by indie publishing yourself and then you almost, you know, did your apprenticeship in as, a, as an indie published author. And then... No, no, no. no that's not true. Um, oh, my first book... Winter of the Passion Flower was with Lyrical Press. Oh. My sec- second book and my subsequent 10 books after that were with Entangled Publishing in Colorado in the US. I've since got the rights back to several of them, but I still have, I think from memory, I still have nine books with Entangle Publishing, my contemporary romances, um, the Affairs series, the Half Moon Bay series and the Prickle Creek Farm series are still with them. It was after those 10 books or probably towards the end of those 10 books with Entangle that I started self-publishing simultaneously and that went from about 2011 to 2012. Oh, 14, 13 or 14, until I picked up the print contract with Pam McMillan. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, um, I've been a, a true hybrid. I've been with digital publishers in the US, a lot of self-publishing and now with traditional Australian publishers. Have you got any preference for what you like best? I love the freedom of indie publishing um, I love the freedom. I do my own covers. I do my own formatting. I also have a formatting and cover creation and editing business where I work with, oh, I think I've worked with about 400 other authors over the last five or six years. Um, I love being traditionally published because I suppose being old school, I, you know, I read ebooks, I read print books, but that moment of seeing a book that you wrote published by a publisher on the shelf of a bookstore to me is the ultimate. Yes. That was my goal to be print published and, you know, my fourth book will be out um, in July next year with another two to come. So that'll give me, um, actually, no, that'll give me seven print books um, by my mid-60s and I think, okay, I've achieved my goal. Yeah, that's fabulous. Now, you mentioned working with other writers, and you have also done a practical advice book, which I must admit I bought online last week, Promotional Tips and Tricks for Authors, which has got a lot of very good down-to-earth advice in it and makes it very clear that you've put your shoulder to the wheel in terms of getting that that, um, marketing and promotional side of your work looked after as well. Yes, look, Jenny, I work with so many authors who've written their first book and self-publish, well, not so many. I've worked with some authors, uh, you know, and I do advise a lot of aspiring authors as well and say, you know, you cannot just put a book out there and think, oh, I'm going to sell hundreds of copies. It's hard work. As, you know, anyone who's an author who's listening who indie publishes, you know you've got to be on social media. Um, unfortunately, these days, I think people are spending so much money on 
Facebook advertising and Instagram and Amazon advertising and Twitter advertising um, and um, doing these courses um, like the Creative Pen with Joanna Pan and Nick Stevenson and Mark Dawson, people are spending a lot of money to get their books out there. And, you know, the ordinary author who doesn't have a big advertising budget is up against all of these books um, that are just flooding the market and people are paying to get them up there. So the landscape for indie publishing has changed, I think, over the last four or five years, I've noticed it. Um, That's why if you're not in a position or not prepared to spend big, and I don't spend a lot of advertising on my indie books. I get on social media and just post and I have a lovely readers group. But um, you really need to establish your brand and establish it early these days. Even if you've got a desire to be traditionally published or digitally published with a publisher, they will say to you, what's your website? How many books have you sold? Um, What's your social media following? And I think not to have that these days will impact on your ability to be published. Yeah. It's a constant shoulder to the wheel or whatever, and uh, I do at least two to three hours of marketing every day, which makes it a long day. Gosh, yes, that is. Yes, it does. I'm a very structured author. Um, I treat this as a career. I'm at my desk at 7.30 every morning as soon as my husband's out the door. I make the bed, load the dishwasher, feed the dog, throw a load of washing on, and I'm usually at my desk by 7.30 at the latest, and I stay there till four, at least four days a week. And then I break in the evenings, I break for dinner, have a wine, my husband will watch something on television, and I move into the living room with my laptop, and that's when I edit and do covers and do a lot of marketing. So it's a very long day, but it is starting to pay off this year. And, you know, for people who are starting out as authors, um, my biggest downfall is my impatience. I'm impatient. I want something to, I want to do something and I want to see an instant result. And that's just my A type personality. It's taken a good seven years for me to feel as though I am now firmly established as an author in the publishing landscape. Yeah, yeah. It's probably a good point to ask the question that I always do like to ask, and that is. Is there one thing in your writing career more than any other you've done that you see as the secret to your success? And I, I think maybe you've already answered that question in your last um, answer, but but is that persistence one of them? First thing is to be a, to write well. And in terms of writing well, what works for me is, you know, just what works for us as a reader is engaging people in the story getting them emotionally bound into caring about the characters um, and when they leave the book to get those messages to say, oh, you know, I really hated leaving those characters. Well, I cry when I finish a book. I, I, are they going to be all right without me writing about them? So I get myself invested and I think in terms of writing that is the key to get that emotion into your book and secondly, the key is establishing your brand and market, market, market. That being said, marketing strategies that you're comfortable with that work for you. I've tried them all 
Facebook is my go-to place at the moment. I have recently established a readers group that's going really well and people are engaging. Again, that depends on how many people in that group. I think there's 260 members at the moment and sometimes I'll write a post and Facebook will only choose to show it to 10 of those members. So you're hamstrung by the social media giants. Um, Twitter, I tried. I've got 4,000 followers on Twitter, but I honestly can't see the point of it. It doesn't work for me. And Instagram, they say, is for the younger readers. Um, I've tried it. I do some, but it's not my go-to advertising because when I look at the emails and comments of my readers group, I find that the majority of my readers are over 50. So, again, it's a different audience to cater for with the terms of, in terms of what marketing you do. So, obviously, you are, as you say, a very type A person. How do you manage to discipline yourself to switch off sometimes? And what is your favourite way to relax and unwind? Oh, I'm so naughty. Uh, when I was a teacher, when I was a principal, um, I used to go to seminars that used to talk about, you know, the eggs in your life basket and make sure that you have the family eggs and the work eggs and everything. I, I, I'm just, um, when I do something, I have to, I'm driven. And I'm sorry to say that my daughter is the same. She's 37 years old and she's a deputy principal and has been for a couple of years already and I see myself mirrored very much in her. But um, I try very hard to read. Uh, I do read every night. Um, I walk on the beach with my husband and the dog and at the moment um, my husband only works four days a week and I try not to work on Fridays unless he goes for a little run and nap in the afternoon and bang, I'm straight in the study. I can't resist. <laughs> so um, I, I set myself very um, foolish goals. Um, at the moment, next year, I have a single title book to write that's due in June that I haven't started. I have started the research and I'm planning on self-publishing another seven books next year. So that's already crazy. I don't know why I do it. <laughs> Seven books as well as a, a, that's amazing. That is amazing. Tell me, when you're away on your research trips, how does that working day work when you're away on those trips? And, and I'm really curious as to whether you can get good Wi-Fi access right throughout the, the outback and to do your, do you still do all your marketing and everything when you're away? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, to answer the Wi-Fi question first, we generally stay in towns. Um, some days, uh, well, we started off, I, I didn't finish this story, we started off with the Canvas camper trailer. About three years ago, we upgraded to a 20-foot caravan um, that was not a good choice. We just wanted to see if we like caravanning and uh, as we travelled along even bitumen roads, the windows inside fell out, the drawers fell out and things like that. So um, we took that away on a few trips for a couple of years and then last year when we decided we really do love caravanning and travelling around this beautiful country, we upgraded to a very nice caravan that even has a washing machine <laughs> and an oven that I say I could live in. So when we're on the road, we have this caravan, so we generally stay in small towns and no matter how small a town, they will always have Wi-Fi. 
Sometimes we might be travelling a long day, eight or 900 kilometres, which is probably the length of your island. Just about. I suppose. <laughs> uh, yeah, from town to town, and I won't have access during the day. But that's very good because I write as we travel. And my husband tells a funny story and he says, you know, all he hears is this riveting conversation of click, 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 the keyboard going. And the only landscape I say I see is when he says, oh, look, there's an emu, emu or there's a kangaroo. And I look up and look out the window and nod and go back to my keyboard. But he's telling lies. He exaggerates. <laughs> Oh, that's gorgeous. Look, turning to Annie as reader, because this is called The Joys of Binge Reading, and it is kind of focused on authors who do either series or I know your last three or four books that are standalones, but they are also series in the sense that the characters reappear and, and become the primary character in the next book with the sisters. Um, that's true. What do you, you obviously are a big reader. Who do you like to binge read? And have you got any recommendations for listeners? To my New Zealand listeners, my first author that I fell in love with is a romance author back in my teens. I have every one of her books. I have her biography. And when I was in New Zealand in 2006 on a, tour, a one month long study tour, I made sure I went to many of the places that Essie Summers made me fall in love with um, from the 1970s onward, Akaroa, Paradise, Glenorchy, um, all, all the places in the South Island that she used to write about, I visited and felt as though I knew them. So in terms of contemporary romance and Mills and Boone, Essie Summers, I have every one of her books and I reread them. Oh, probably half a dozen of them every year when I, I, I like a nice little escape romance. Um, I read Kristen Higgins, who is a US author who writes series. Her Blue Heron series um, that started with The Best Man is one of my favourite books of all time. So um, you'd class that as women's fiction. I also read a lot of our Australian rural romance authors, Fiona MacArthur, um, so many of them to mention, uh, my colleagues at HarperCollins and at Pan Macmillan, Trish Morey, there's lots and lots of them and, you know, the RWNZ members um, and readers would probably know their stories. Um, I also love historical fiction and I love the Sharon Penman Llewellyn series, all of Annie Seaton's books that were written in the 1950s and 60s. Um, so, oh, and, you know, very eclectic tastes. I'm currently reading um, Robert Galbraith, who is J.K. Rowling's um, Corner and Strike. It's a very gritty private detective series. I love Peter Robinson, Ian Rankin. Uh, you know, I could stand in front of my bookshelf and read you many, many different yes. authors. Yeah. That's that's great. And speaking of New Zealand romance writers, I see that you also you you've been part of a a Christmas collaboration this year, the Twelve Days of Down Under Christmas. I think it's finished now, but there were several of the well-known New Zealand romance writers, including Leanna Milana Morgan and Tracy Alvarez, Chris Peterson Pearson, were there. So, have you done Christmas uh, collaborations before? Um, that was uh, the, that was twelve months ago. That one. Um, we oh, just sorry, had a was it? Oh, 
No, that was my blog's out of date. That was 12 months ago. I've done two different collaborations with New Zealand authors, both organised by Rosalind James, who's a US author who lived in New Zealand for quite a while and has done a rugby um, union series set there. Uh, Her books are fabulous. So we had Christmas Down Under um, about two or three years ago. That was a box set with Chris and Tracy and Joanne. um, Starts with W, my mind is blank. (laughs) And uh, quite a few of us. I think I was the only Aussie in that set. And then we also did Love Down Under, um, either before or after that one. So uh, I got to meet all the girls. I've been to the RWNZ conference twice now and I'd dearly love to get to Christchurch next year, but I think it's not long after we come back from the outback, so time will tell on that one. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I met Rosalind James, actually, and that that All Black series was pretty amazing. That was one that... She told us that when she first pitched, tried to pitch it to an agent, they basically laughed her out of the office. And, of course, she turned it into a fantastic success. Oh, look how great it's been. And I actually met Rosalind for coffee in Sydney when I was down there um, seeing my print publisher once. She happened to be in town with her husband and we had a lovely chat. And You know, you, you get to know authors online and on email and through Facebook and it's so special when you actually get to meet them in person. You feel like you've been best buddies for years. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Look, we're starting to get to the point where we're running out of time. So looking back over your career and then considering where you're standing now, at this stage, if you were doing it all again, is there anything that you would do differently or do you feel that you've been very lucky with the way that or or fortunate with the way it's gone? I've been very fortunate with the way that it's gone. Um, I think my regret is that I didn't start a little bit earlier but then I wouldn't have had the life experience um, if I'd continued because, you know, when I wrote that short story, I was 33. And I don't think I had the drive or the energy to put into my writing back in those days because there was so much happening. My children were young, heading for their teens. I was studying. And it was just something that was always in the back of my mind. Perhaps, you know, if I'd started 10 years earlier, But then, you know, I look at that and I think, well, if I had of, I wouldn't be driven to get such a big backlist out. And it's great discipline for me to think, okay, I'm going to do four or five books this year. I think I've passed number 40 or 41 now with the combination of the hybrid um, publishing different methods that I use. I'd love to get to 50 by the end of 2019. And the problem is my husband is then retiring at the end of next year and I think, oh, how am I going to justify sitting at my desk all day long when he wants to go out for lunch or on a trip or out fishing or something like that? (laughs) Yes, yes. So that segues very nicely into talking about what is next for Annie the writer. Now, you've mentioned seven self-published books next year as well as one trad published. Can you talk to tell us a little bit about, give us a few hints about those books and how on earth do you manage to be so productive? <laughs> okay, I'm disciplined. Now, look, for all of our aspiring and published authors out there, if you write a 1,000 words every day, you can t- usually do that in an hour or two. A 1,000 words every day is 365,000 words a year. That's a heck of a lot of books. <laughs> That's my, my mantra. 
that's what my plan always is. And then I get to the last minute and I think, oh, my God, I haven't done my thousand words a day. I've been editing or I've been social marketing or I've been off on library tours. Um, my recent book that's just come out, Her Outback Protector, came out last Monday. I left myself very tight with that. It was up for pre-order on Amazon and draft to digital and I wrote 46,000 words of that in eight days because I had to get it out. <laughs> and then it went to my editor with about three days to spare and she's wonderful because um, she's similar to me. We, we edit each other's work. Um, I've got a book coming out in February called Follow Me. That's my first one. That is the sequel to my time travel novel, Come Back to Me. Um, I have written a couple of thousand words of that. So that's January. My print book in 2019 is called Andara. It's 111,000 words and I'm pleased to say that it has been written and it has just finished structural edits with um, HarperCollins. So that one I can put aside and not think about that till it comes out in July and worry about marketing. I also have the next two books to do in the Second Chance Bay series. I've got her out back boss and her, her Outback Playboy and her Outback Protector out there and they're doing beautifully. I've got his Outback Bride to be and his Outback Nurse to come out next year. So that's another two to write. And then I'm starting a new series, um, just like my Bondi Beach Love series, but I'm going to set them up on islands in the Sundays. a series called Island Love about four, five or six friends, depending how many books I end up writing, who move to an island to start a business together and each book will be their story. Now, those books are only 25 to 30,000 words, so they're a very quick book to write. Mm, they're really novellas, aren't they? Yeah, it's more of a novella, just a, a high, a, a big novella. So I think that's my seven for next year and I also have to write Osprey Reef by June, which is about 110,000 contracted for HarperCollins. So, um sitting at my desk every day from 7.30 till 4, trying to avoid the temptation of social media. It's discipline. <laughs> wow, I'm, I'm almost reeling in my seat to, to imagine it all. <laughs> <laughs> but how fortunate. I could be in a classroom or I could be at a school dealing with difficult staff and parents and students and phone calls. I get to sit at my desk all day and make up stories. How wonderful is that? That's <laughs> gorgeous. I, I get the impression that you very much enjoy interacting with your readers. Where can they find you online? They can find me at Annie Seaton, A-N-N-I-E-S-E-A-T-O-N dot net. That's my website. And on Facebook, my profile page is facebook.com Annie Seaton author. Now, within that Annie Seaton author Facebook page, there is a group, Annie Seaton Authors Readers Group, and, you know, people are more than welcome to join that. We have lots of fun, lots of chats, lots of suggestions for characters' names, lots of giveaways. The other place that I would love people to go and have a look at, in my spare time, ha, 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 I've created a site called Australian Rural Fiction. It's a website, australianruralfiction.com. And there's 75, I think now, Australian rural fiction authors on that site. 
It links to their website. It puts up a page of their new releases. And we also have a Facebook page, Australian Rural Fiction Readers. Australian Rural Fiction is the Facebook group page. And we've got almost a 1,000 members since we started that about six weeks ago. So um, supporting and promoting Australian Rural Fiction is a big part of my day and uh, a very enjoyable part of interacting with readers. You certainly are a dynamo. There's no doubt about it. (laughs) I sleep well at night. (laughs) Yes, I've noticed, of course, over the last decade, the way that um, regional stories of all sorts have grown. I mean, when you think back 20 or 25 years, well, Di Morrissey was one, of course, who was doing those sorts of stories, but she must have been one of the early ones. There wasn't a lot like that around, but it's just absolutely blossomed in the last decade, hasn't it? Oh, it's been fabulous. And the comments I get every day from readers um, for our um, one-stop Australian rural fiction site say, oh, this is so fabulous. I love reading Australian fiction or Australian rural fiction. And it's like armchair travelling. Like you said earlier, it's as though you've been to that place. And that's why it's so important for me to research my books very well because I say unless you smell the landscape, feel the air on your skin and hear the sounds of that particular landscape, you can't write authentically about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, Annie, it's been wonderful talking. We have come to the end of our time now. So um, I'd just like to say thank you very much for being such an entertaining and informative um, interview. It's just been wonderful hearing about your work. It's been lovely talking, Jenny, and thanks so much for the opportunity of broadcasting me over in New Zealand, one of my favourite places in the world. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audioservices at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.